You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more info, visit sovgracechurch.ca. Well, Pastor Josh has asked that I would teach you about church membership today, and it it is really a privilege to do so. Uh, Over the years, um, many people have asked me, where is membership taught in the Bible? I don't see anything about membership when I read my Bible. Or on top of that, uh, what's the point of it anyway? Why is it so important? Why do churches talk about this? Well, frankly, a lot of churches don't, okay? We're one of a dying breed of churches that still practice church membership. The, the word membership is not found in the Bible, just like the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, yet both concepts are clearly taught in the pages of Scripture. So let's think for a moment what we already understand about the concept of membership. Uh, some of you have Costco memberships. Uh, some of you have gym memberships. Some of you have kind of special credit card memberships. Now, these memberships always involve both obligations and benefits. The member commits to the obligations. So with Costco, you commit to paying your membership dues each each year and showing the card when you enter the store. And the organization commits to the benefits. Costco, you get to buy quality, usually quality, discounted items in bulk. Well, church membership on a basic level is no different from that. It involves clear commitments toward the church and from the church toward the members. It involves both obligations and benefits, both from members toward the the church and from the church toward the members. But unlike worldly memberships, membership in the church is not an option to consider, but an act of obedience that is part of what Christianity is all about. Now this concept is probably new to many of you, especially if you've never been a member of a church or thought much about it. Especially if you have had negative experiences in a church, you might resist the very notion of membership because you don't like the idea of being accountable to people that you don't necessarily trust. And I understand that. So let's think about this together. Please open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Fifth book in the New Testament. Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two, and I'd like to read from verse 38 to 47. 38 to 47, a familiar text of scripture to many of you. Let's look at this together. Acts chapter two, reading from verse 38 to the end of the chapter, verse 47. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. Now, this is what my basic argument is gonna be this morning. The New Testament teaching and practice of baptism involves everything that we mean by church membership. Or another way to say this is, baptism is the biblical practice that means the same thing as we mean by church membership. Now, before we get into this, we need to recognize that we have people here that believe by conviction in infant baptism. Well, we have others that believe by conviction that baptism only has meaning if it is administered to those who have already put their faith in Christ. We have both groups of people, and I would say a fairly large group of people in both camps right here this morning. Uh, There's quite a bit of confusion about what each of these two groups believe by the other group. And this message is not going to explain that. Uh, That is uh, for another message at another time. And Josh and I, either one of us would love to give that message because this is something that really matters. But let me simply say this. The view that believes and practices infant baptism is a view that sees baptism as a sign of the faith that is to come. While the view that practices believer baptism sees baptism as a sign of the faith that has already come. Both views believe in the necessity of faith in Christ for salvation. Okay, I recognize there are some, uh, if you've been raised Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholic view is that baptism actually confers salvation, okay? But that's not what we're talking about here. There's a whole group of people And I've done a lot of study on this over the years, by the way, because I seriously considered becoming Presbyterian many, many years ago. Many of you wouldn't know that. A surprise, isn't it? Um, And so I've done a lot of study on this, and there's a large group of people that when they talk about infant baptism, they're not thinking that infant baptism is saving that individual at that moment. They're believing very strongly that they have to have personal faith in Christ at one point in the future if they are going to be a believer. Both views, okay, both the infant baptism view, the the baptism before faith and the, the view of baptism after faith, both views believe that baptism is an act that incorporates a person into the church. 
So today, I am not addressing the when of baptism, I'm addressing the why of baptism. Today, we're gonna look at its biblical meaning and seek to demonstrate that the concept, what we think of as church membership, is at the heart of what baptism is all about. So let's begin by looking closely at Acts 2. The first truth that I want all of us to understand about baptism is that baptism is a visible identification with a spiritual family. Baptism is a visible identification with a spiritual family. Please have your Bibles open to Acts 2, 38 to 47. Uh, This passage here in Acts 2 is the narration of the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, when the apostle Peter, formerly a fisherman, preaches and 3,000 people believe in Christ and are baptized. Uh, Peter, an ordinary fisherman, sees a, a greater response to his preaching than Jesus does in his whole ministry. It's amazing. And note this in verse 41, that after he preaches, those who received his word were baptized. Do you see that? Those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Uh, Most of you know this, but some of you I'm sure don't know this, that I was raised in India, spent 10 years in India as a child, and then I spent 12 years church planting in Japan. So I've spent half my life in Asia, okay? And therefore, I've had a chance to uh, see the difference between Eastern Christianity and Western Christianity. And this, this piece that we're looking at in verse 41, the piece that those who believe the message become are baptized, that's a piece that many North American Christians have never understood. I'm telling you, I meet people all the time who have believed in Christ as a child or believed in Christ as an adult but have never been baptized. You need to know that the idea of believing in Christ and not being baptized is completely foreign to the teaching of the Bible. In Japan, if you are not a baptized believer, you're not considered to be a believer. In fact, when I was in Japan, I regularly would ask people when they had come to faith in Christ. And they would always talk about when they were baptized. And I thought, oh, does everybody here believe that baptism saves you? But they didn't. They just recognized that your faith in Christ wasn't even considered real until you'd been baptized. Your, 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 your baptism was, was showed that you really believed in Christ. You were telling people you, your Lord was Jesus and your people were the church. You could believe in Jesus as, as a Japanese and they would say, that's interesting. Just add Jesus to all the other God shelf items. Now you have a new God that you also believe in. It wasn't until you were baptized that persecution began. And that's also true in the Muslim world. That's true in many places in the world. The rest of the world, except for the Western world, Europe and the West, the rest of the world understands what baptism means. 
But the Western church is, is very deficient in their understanding of what baptism is all about. So I hope to make it clear to you today. To, to be a Christian and not to be baptized is like being a non-swimming fish, a non-flying bird, and even more serious, non-sweetened ice cream. Okay, it's, it, it, it's, it's an oxymoron, biblically speaking. Every time we see people believing in Christ in the New Testament, we see them being baptized. The idea of a non-baptized Christian does not exist anywhere in the Bible. Let me explain it this way. <clears throat> it, it, it would be like somebody joining the Maple Leafs, being contracted into the Maple Leafs, but never wearing the Leafs jersey when they get on the ice. That wouldn't be permitted. It wouldn't make sense. And if the, if the practice persisted, that a team player would be let go of the team. Because if you are part of the team, you show you belong to that team visibly. That's how it works. In order to understand then what is happening when a person gets baptized, we need to see the connection between what is going on invisibly, we could, we could liken that to signing the contract with the team, that happens behind closed doors in an office that we don't see, and what is visible, that is the player now putting on the jersey when they get on the ice. What exactly happens when someone believes in Jesus Christ? Now the typical North American response to that is that their sins are forgiven and they start a new relationship with God that didn't exist before. And of course, that would be right. But it's an incomplete answer. Let me show you how the scripture fills out the picture for us. A text that is wonderful in this regard is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that simply says this, we were all baptized, speaking there about spiritual baptism, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, okay? Now, look at this PowerPoint slide here. This verse is telling us what's happening in the invisible realm when somebody believes in Jesus. This verse reveals to us what is happening in a special way, when the Holy Spirit gets involved, the Holy Spirit uh, brings us to new faith in Christ, it tells us in, in John 3. When we're trusting in Christ, the Holy Spirit is also doing something supernaturally in our lives. He, he takes that person and he baptizes them, that is, he immerses them, puts them right in, baptizes them into the invisible church. They become part of the worldwide church of God, the, the, the church that believes in Christ all around the world uh, and, and all throughout time. Every believer in Christ has entered into two unchanging and very significant relationships. Again, North American church, we emphasize just one of those relationships and that is our relationship with God through Christ. But actually, every believer in Christ has entered into two very significant relationships. The one is with God himself. The other is with God's people. 
We have all had a spiritual baptism that incorporates us into the universal church. Now, notice this carefully, that there is a mere image of the spiritual in the visible, physical realm. Listen to this verse in Acts 10. There are other verses that illustrate this, but this is a good one to illustrate it. This is when Cornelius, remember Peter speaks to Cornelius. He's got all his friends and family gathered there. As he's speaking the gospel to them, the Holy Spirit falls on them and they, and they, and they, they, they start praising God and they believe in Christ. And this is what is said. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, okay? Now, here is the mirror image of what we just saw in the spiritual realm, okay? The baptism that occurs in the local church is a mirror image of the invisible baptism that the Spirit has administered to make us part of the universal church. The Spirit baptizes us when we believe in Christ into the invisible church of believers, the true believers all throughout time and all around the world. In the, in the local church, we are baptized in water and we are joined to a visible local body of believers in Christ. Do you, do you see why baptism is so important? It's making what is invisible visible. It shows who we belong to. It's an identity marker. It's putting on the hockey jersey to show which team you belong to. And we see this same truth in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? Added to the visible followers of Jesus Christ. And notice that this is the very same word that's that's uh, found in verse 47. At the end it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added them. That's significant, you see, because that tells us that the Lord is not just saving people and, and making more and more Christians, he's adding people to the church. The Lord is doing this. He's adding to their number. The Lord himself puts those who believe in him into a spiritual family. And we see that clearly in verse 42 because as soon as they're added, they are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. No invisible Christians, my friends, no invisible Christians, no private faith. Every believer in the New Testament clearly belonged to a group of believers and, it was, and they took their stand with that and they suffered for it in the early church in many places in the world today. Because they aren't invisible, persecution exists. Persecution wouldn't be possible if you weren't identified clearly with groups of people. So this brings us then to our second point. 
Baptism is a declared commitment, a declared commitment, not just a visible identification, but it's a declared commitment to a spiritual family. Notice this in verse 42, a very well-known text. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Those that were added were devoted. And notice it says they devoted themselves. It's a commitment. They were not passively involved, they were actively involved. They were not just attending something, they became part of the very life of that faith community. Well, what, what exactly does this devotion involve? Well, well, look with me at verse 42 of Acts 2. In, in this verse, four items are, are listed, but actually there are only two categories here. This is what baptism does. It, it leads into a life of devotion in these two areas, okay? The first is apostolic teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostolic teaching in the New Testament is a particular kind of teaching. It is Christ-centered teaching. It is Christ-exalting teaching. It is Christ-dependent teaching. It is, it is teaching that is built around and built upon Christ's redemption at the cross. It is, it is teaching that is all about the gospel, the understanding the gospel and teaching all the implications of the gospel. This kind of teaching is exemplified in the Apostle Paul. Listen to some of the things he says about the, how he taught the church. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's apostolic teaching. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, that great chapter on, on building the church, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And he means by that, Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Baptism takes you into a life where you become devoted to Christ-centered teaching. My friends, we are, we are people of the book. We are people of this book. And this book is all about Jesus' deliverance. It is the plot line. It is the, it is the string that holds all the pearls together. Uh, it, it, it is what this book is about. Jesus said, these are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. So that's the first thing. It's a devotion to a, a form of teaching that is Christocentric all the way. But that's not all. We, we are not just into teaching. We are not just a, an education, a Christian education uh, a gathering. We are into relationships with one another. I've said over the years, when people have asked me, how do you, how do you choose a good church? I said, well, there, I think there's only two main things. You gotta, they, gotta, they gotta teach that Bible. You wanna make sure they're opening that Bible and teaching that Bible well, or it's not worth going there. 
Uh, you, know, you, don't, you don't need them to open up the newspaper or open up all the latest blogs and talk about that. What they need is open this, this book. But beyond that, there needs to be love. People need to be cared for. People need to be interactively involved with one another. That's the two things you need for a church. You need love, truth, and love. Speaking the truth in love. And it says here in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Well, what does that mean? Well, the next two words really define it for us. It says they devoted themselves to the fellowship and then it says to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In other words, they devoted themselves to the practice of the Lord's Supper and to prayer, corporate prayer with others. Christianity is never done in isolation, but always with other believers. They, 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 they spoke about the cross in their messages. They, they remembered and celebrate the cross in the Lord's Supper, and they gather on the basis of the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. We pray on the merit of Jesus in our prayers together. And verse 44 reiterates that this is done together. Verse 44, and all who believed were together. All who believed were together. Listen, we do online streaming here and some of you are listening today in online streaming because I, I, I look at it as a concession. It's a concession for our times. But let me tell you that online streaming is, is about as far removed from what real church life is as a husband whose only contact with his family is through email and letters. There's no wife or any child on the planet that's gonna say that's normal family life because we want to be together physically. We need to be, there's a whole theology of physicality in the Bible and I'm so tempted to tell you about it because it's so important. There's a reason why Jesus appeared on our earth physically and he died a physical death for us, and that our future is physical. We're not just little spirits in heaven with God one day. We're gonna have a physical existence. God's plan for his people is physical. The idea that we could just have an existence together in a mediated form is, is false. We need to be together, and we need to be together not just through media. We need to be together physically as much as that's possible. Now, there is another aspect of this devotion that you need to know about, and it's not just from the, the believers toward one another, but it's from the pastors toward the people. Turn for a moment in your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'd like to read verses 2 and 3. 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3. And this passage is spoken to pastors. And notice what it says. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, I want you to look at verse three carefully. Notice those little words 
not domineering over those in your charge. The NIV says, those entrusted to you. Uh, This verse makes it very clear that there is a group of people, there's an actual boundary line that the pastors know are their responsibility. Let let me illustrate this to you. If if my neighbor's child uh, starts to run out on the street because they're playing and not paying attention and there's a truck barreling down toward them, I'm gonna run out, grab them, pull them to safety. I'm gonna involve myself in their life whether they like it or not. But if that same neighbor's child gets into a quarrel on the driveway right beside my house with his kid brothers, I'm not gonna involve myself. Even if the quarrel gets loud and nasty. Why not? Because they're not my kids. They're the next door neighbor's kids. They're not my responsibility. You see, when you become a member of this church, you're, you are telling the pastors what family you belong to. You are telling us that, that you, you are our responsibility. The, the membership, membership creates a border around the church and lets the pastors know who, are, who is in our charge and who is not. Josh, Tim, and myself are are responsible for the members of this church. Let me tell you, we we care about all of you and we are grateful for every one of you. But until you become a member, we don't feel responsible for you because you haven't done the one thing that communicates you want our involvement in your life and that is membership. Membership. So before I finish, I wanna answer two questions that some of you I'm sure are thinking. The first is this. If baptism is the biblical equivalent of church membership, what we consider church membership today, then why do we practice the ceremony of church membership? Isn't that adding an extra unnecessary layer to what the Bible teaches? Well, like I alluded to before, In places like Japan or the Middle East or or India, it's not necessary because the act of baptism carries with it the very meaning and in the consciousness of those who get baptized. Not only in the consciousness of those who get baptized, but in the consciousness of everyone else in the way they look at that person. However, very few believers in the West who get baptized understand the communal commitments attached to their baptism. Uh, They see baptism, as I've said, as a declaration of their devotion to Christ, but they also tend to miss that it's a declaration of their devotion to local believers. They don't tend to see that their faith entails commitment to a group of people, just as they're committed to Christ. You know, the the church fathers said that God is our father and the church is our mother. First John makes it clear that if we say we love God, but we don't love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are imposters because the two go hand in hand. In fact, 
First John says it quite bluntly. It says, if you say you love God, but you don't love your brothers, you're a liar. You have to do it together. They go together. Christ is the head of the body and the body is his church. You can't just have the head or just the body. You have to take them together. Because this understanding of baptism has been largely lost on Western believers, it has become necessary to add a ceremony that emphasizes the, the sacred commitments of baptism and the weightiness of baptism that is often left missing out. And that is why we do the extra. We're doing the extra to add the meaning that is inherent in the, in the word but has been lost in the West. Number two, the second question that some of you have regarding this is those of you who've been baptized as infants and have since come to faith in Christ, you might wonder, will our church allow you to become members here if you have not been baptized as an adult believer, but only as an infant? Our leaders have discussed this and we are unified in our response. We understand that many here uh, hold to the infant baptism view, which many reformed believers hold to, and we know that you hold it by conviction. And try, by, the, by the way, I studied this in depth for a whole year when I was in Japan. And I, I get it and I understand that view. We respect your conscience. And therefore, the answer is yes. We will welcome you into membership if you seek it. Of course, you have to meet the conditions that we, we, we require of everyone who becomes a member. But that's not gonna be an impediment for you becoming a member of this church. You would, however, need to understand that we will not be baptizing your infant children or your infant grandchildren. We would love to baptize them when they come to faith in Christ and that they have exercised uh, sufficient evidence that they are able to be a functioning and devoted member of the local church because we believe that baptism is part, involves that as well. Baptism involves a devotion to the apostolic teaching, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. When they're able to be part of that as well, then they can become members. So sometimes we believe, I would say, that a child can sometimes become a full member of a church because they're able to function on that level. But they would have to be able to function on that level. There would have to be demonstration of faith and the, the capacity to actually be a functioning member of the local church. So there you have it, my friends. Where is church membership found in the Bible? It's in the sacrament of baptism. Because baptism is a visible identification and devotion to Christ and his people, okay? So here's my final parting shot to you, my, my final challenge to you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, but you have never been baptized, what is stopping you? What is stopping you? Honestly, that is the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the very first steps. In the New Testament, it's the first thing that people do after they believe. The idea that there could be 10, 15 years, 
20 years after a person believes and they still haven't been baptized is unbelievable, honestly. It's so far removed from New Testament Christianity. I urge you, if you have never been baptized but you're a believer in Christ, be baptized. It's the very first step of the Christian life. And if you have been baptized, whether as an infant looking to forward faith, future faith, or as a, a believer and looking back to, to faith that has already been there, if you've been built up by this church, I urge you not to live as a consumer, but be a participating member. Put on the jersey. Let everyone know that this is your team. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for those who are gonna be added in just a few moments to our church visibly. They're making their commitment public. And Father, I know there's others here though that need to be baptized. There's here others here that need to become part of this church. You know all the struggles in their heart, uh, all the reasons inside, all the hesitations. And I just pray that you would now do your supernatural work in people's hearts and convince them of what the Bible teaches and that you would make us willing. For scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.